Hi, this is Chris Bilton from University of Warwick, and you're listening to the We'll Meet Again podcast. Over the summer of 2020, I've been speaking to leading figures in the cultural and creative industries about life under lockdown, how they're adapting to the COVID crisis, and what needs to change in the future. It's Tuesday the 4th of August, and I'm talking to Nick North, Director of Audiences at the BBC. This is the last episode in the current series, and I wanted to get Nick's insight on changing audience behaviours under lockdown, as well as that old chestnut, the future of public service broadcasting. We're speaking on Zoom. How has your own work been affected by lockdown? When lockdown happened, there was an urgent need to really understand how audiences were reacting, both in terms of um, their own lives, what they were doing, uh, how they were feeling, and what media were they turning to. We found ourselves within my team, and I run the audiences team, which is responsible for all the research and measurement and analytics at the BBC, we found ourselves more busy than we'd been, I think, than I can remember. We moved quickly towards producing a daily report, uh, looking both at our own um, content, but also how audiences started to turn to competitive services. It was quite exciting, to be honest. And I think actually for the team, it was energising and they felt in a period where it was very uncertain what was going on, they felt they had a clear purpose and uh, that, in fact, in some ways, sort of audience insight had never been more important to the business. Is there uh, a difference between the short-term trends and the long-term trends? Because presumably at the beginning, there was a certain amount of firefighting of just what the hell is happening now, and, and a lot of things did change in the short term, which presumably won't be there in the long term. Like, for example, in my own family, we suddenly started all five of us sitting down to watch TV together, which, yeah. you know, it's, it's a thing that people talk about with warm glows and nostalgia. And, we, and mm. we were forced to do it because there was nothing else to do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there were some immediate changes, some fairly... <clears throat> subtle changes to uh, daily routines, as you say, you know, more shared viewing, uh, different different patterns of use of the, of the TV, uh, news in the, in the end of the afternoon, you know, with the government briefings, uh, more daytime viewing. In radio, very different patterns where the normal kind of radio peak in the morning was entirely absent. People were, people were getting up later and often perhaps turning to BBC Breakfast on, on the TV rather than uh, perhaps to the radio, which they would normally be listening to on their way to work or uh, to school or wherever. Um, so some, some, some disruptions that were caused by the changes to people's uh, lives. And then the changes also in taste uh, and or what people were looking for from media so the you know the need to be informed the need to understand what's going on 
both on a global level and on a very local level as well. Um, those things were important. But by perhaps, you know, about seven o'clock in the evening, very, very soon, you started to see an emergence of people turning to more escapist TV. Um, we found a huge boost in the audience for Repair Shop uh, quite early on, which is you know, sort of restorative comfort TV, which people were just looking for something to make them feel more secure, I think, um, and, and something that they, could, that they could watch together. As people's lives changed a bit more, you started to see how people would also turn to programs like, I mean, Spring Watch is always really popular, but also Gardener's World and stuff like that, where people are a little bit more connected to nature. And we saw in people's attitudes as well how they were hoping that perhaps life would be a little bit different coming out of this. And so, yes, there were definitely definitely some very short-term, immediate sort of shock effects. Um, but then these rather more subtle changes. But one of the very big effects that we've seen is an acceleration towards digitization, digital for want of a better word, you know. Um, so more people turning to on-demand services, watching the TV set, but not watching what we would describe as TV. Uh, in, in measurement land, it's described as unmatched viewing. So it's you're, you're in front of the TV set. We know the TV's on, but it, you're not watching identifiable content. And that tends to be gaming, maybe old DVDs, YouTube, Netflix, Prime, uh, could be Zoom calls through the TV, could be other things as well. And, and we saw that on demand, for want of a better word, or unmatched viewing, uh, grow and that and, the, and that and that growth pattern has been sustained that 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 looks like that um isn't falling back down to what we would expect to see as normal levels whereas bbc viewing had its moment in the sun largely driven by news and as the news agenda kind of diminished in in importance as people got used to lockdown the, the the viewing volumes fell back down to what might be described as kind of near normal levels so the lasting effect i think has been this sort of acceleration of a trend that we saw in the market already but some people say you know it's kind of accelerated the market two two years in two months i don't know if that's right but definitely this a, a, a marked change in behavior in front of the tv on radio, I think things, radio is a fantastic barometer of, of normal life. And so as, as the world starts to return to normal, you start to see the emergence of drive time, a morning peak and so on, which is slightly sort of reassuring that life is in some ways returning to normal. And you haven't seen the same acceleration of uh, on demand. But one of the things that radio provides is companionship. I think that's something that has been highly valued. I do know people who who time shifted the Today programme to listen to it when they got up and yep. things like that. But but I think but but the real change I'm sure that you're describing with um TV viewing is is one of those longer term 
you know, thinking about the difference between short term and long term is what is a long term thing. And it's partly to do with people having the time to familiarize themselves with the technology. Also, perhaps having the budget to subscribe to on-demand services because they can't go out. So they can't go to the pub, they can't go to the cinema. Well, they can now, but they couldn't then. So learning how to use, you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever. And uh, and uh, and the, there's been much reporting of how this has been an absolute boom time for those services, particularly for Netflix, whose market valuation has skyrocketed. Would you feel that that, that kind of... Um, breakdown of traditional TV viewing and towards a more on-demand approach is to your disadvantage? Yeah, I think, well, we obviously are a big player in the on-demand space. So when when we think about on-demand, obviously one of the destinations for people on-demand uh, is iPlayer. And in fact, you know, and for listening, it's it sounds and iPlayer has seen its biggest numbers ever. Clearly, the kind of appetite to turn to on-demand content has benefited our commercial competitors like Netflix and 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 Amazon. Uh, YouTube, I would classify as that sort of kind of on-demand experience, and that has been huge as well. We are talking, though, then about a rather different competitive set to the traditional linear competitive set. Um, we have spent an awful lot of time uh, and energy and effort creating a sense of destination around iPlayer. Many more people now think of iPlayer as a destination, so come to it without any specific program in mind to catch up on, but to come and and browse and find something. But we're very much playing against the big boys here. Netflix has done incredibly well, I think, through, through this time and disney plus really couldn't have launched at a better time in some ways could it yes yeah, so, I, mean, I, I did the free trial and then forgot to cancel it with disney plus along with lots of other people i'm sure <laughs> um but with a few notable exceptions there's been you know it's been difficult to make new content yeah um so i guess there's almost um potentially an opportunity that you're opening up with all of the new behaviors that you're discovering with audiences and a kind of pause in production, perhaps, where you're thinking, okay, so what do we do with all this? What, what, are, the, what are the messages that you're taking back to program makers and producers? I think what's important to remember is kind of what our role is in people's lives. It's not only content on demand. <clears throat> I think what we've seen through the crisis is how important it is for people to feel connected connected in the moment so we did the big night in but itv did you know ant and deck launched you know with very big numbers i think people like to kind of come together around something and that sense of kind of community coming together i think is also something that perhaps the bbc can do uniquely i think we would be misunderstanding our role in people's lives if we felt that we had to com- if if our only sort of lens of competition was 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 netflix and uh and and prime and youtube and and actually perhaps through lockdown that usp of the bbc which you've articulated as a, as a sort of collective conversation being part of a, a a sense of community and all of those aspects has become more important 
for some people because the story of recent times is all about media fragmentation and you know mm. niches and new new niche providers coming in and stealing market share away from a centralized service like the BBC but yeah. maybe now there's nostalgia well not nostalgia but need for for that kind of connection yeah i th- i think i think it has helped us to understand the role that we play in people's lives the sense of connection i think uh has been really strong the 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 importance of media as a way of connecting with other people in shared experiences the other thing that's that's also really very clear is is that people have been looking for information uh particularly at the beginning increasingly they're looking to kind of for media to hold government to account i think but but when you when something's going on and you want to know what's going on and you are bombarded by fake news and there was you know there's been an awful lot of fake news on social media and the but maybe half of people have been sort of exposed to fake news around the virus around 5G and all of that um the value of uh impartial reliable news has been made very very clear by just you know how how what 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 an important part the news formed in people's daily routines you know yeah that i'm sure that that's right with the 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 fake news and the attack on mainstream media and it, and it, it's a little bit like the the claims that the truth is out there in conspiracy land and you you know you can go out there and you can find it and people have been out there and found it and they haven't mm. really liked what they found and it's sort of you know those it's been it's been found out i think the the whole that whole narrative a little bit and and the need you know it's, it's a pressing need to have reliable truthful information when yeah. you're in the middle of a pandemic and, and it's not it's not just a kind of oh well i disagree politically with what donald trump is saying it's well if he tells me to do this i might die and yeah. so i do need to find out whether he's telling the truth or not so mm. it's, so in some ways it, would you say that there's a kind of almost been a a regrouping and a reclaiming of of purpose for the bbc and that and that's a kind of a good thing to have come out of this i feel like we're we're at our best when the content that we're we're providing is kind of you know informing educating and entertaining all in one i mean if you dial one of those up too much it becomes a little bit unbalanced. So I think that the news has been incredibly important. What we now need to do is sort of build on that, um, recognize how tastes have changed and build on that. Has it been good for the BBC? In that respect, it certainly has reminded people of the unique value that public service media has. At the same time, it has accelerated these these digital trends that we were talking about just now and the and, and i don't see that trend being reversed so there are there there were long term challenges to us to ensure that we continue to remain very relevant in everyone's lives and those challenges have by no means gone away and in some ways are greater than they ever were so yeah in some ways good in some ways 
an acceleration of a threat. One of the things that Netflix doesn't do, of course, with its vast library of content, at least it's often accused of not doing, is, is investing in the in the talent pipeline. And and you know, it was interesting, wasn't it, when Michaela Cole said thank you no to Netflix when they tried to basically get a giveaway all her content to them um, because she recognised that threat for what it was. And and I I think that's a side of the BBC. I know it's not really BBC audiences, it's more BBC production, but mm. there is a there is a, a real need, isn't there, for, for the BBC to kind of step in to support other parts of the creative economy now, which um, which it, you know, for example, the culture, the culture on the BBC strand, which partnered with a lot of theatre and opera and ballet and dance, and mm. but also things, you know, what's happening to the film industry now is, you know, there's a there's a kind of there's a gap there, isn't there, for people making yeah. um, a sort of mid-budget movies and thinking, well, where where are they going to see them? And um, yeah. so yeah. there's there's a kind of investment perhaps in talent. Well, that's true, and I think I mean you probably saw that. The BBC is investing 100 million in uh, content with uh, sort of a diversity and inclusion kind of uh, agenda, looking at uh, BAME uh, talent, both in front of and behind the camera. To your point about sort of investment, I mean, I think what's what's critically important is that we invest in uh, content that reflects and represents all the communities in the UK, every every license fee paying household uh, should see themselves on screen, should it sh- the content that they see on screen should resonate with them, should reflect their lives. There are some pretty stark sort of numbers around around how disengaged different minority audiences are with the with the BBC and we need to kind of think about ways of tackling that to, again towards that principle of universality. This pause reset jargon that's been used repeatedly ad nauseam maybe but it, it, it there's some value in it maybe because by virtue of, of things closing down there is a there is a kind of almost a, a clean slate possibility of saying well what what kind of things are we going to start commissioning how can we open up pathways more and people have perhaps had a bit more time to think about that and reflect on that than they would have done before yeah that's true i wouldn't i wouldn't start with a clean slate i would just think about what you want to dial up and perhaps dial down there have been some some really interesting new initiatives and again i'm not that close to them but the r&d team has been working with our diversity and inclusion team i think actually in thinking about ways to create shared environments to watch content together for example so one thing that did come out very clearly from the pandemic was the appetite for shared experiences particularly if we're all locked down and isolated and so building different ways of consuming content and dialing up that sense of a shared experience where potentially you could be like we are what you know we can watch each other in this in this call making use of sort of video technologies within a kind of a a shared viewing environment so we're both watching the content we can see the content on screen and we can see each other what what sort of opportunities are there for that so i think i think there are definitely avenues that are opening up to think about new 
ways of delivering a more social dimension to content, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think the the watch along or the you know, the Netflix house party or the you know the sport, some of the sport coverage, which has been you know the match of the day, watch whether well, the FA Cup final, sort of watch with uh, with fans, with other people. Um, have all have all been attempts to recapture that social dimension i guess that my final question would be around this ongoing tension between the bbc's public service obligation to which is which as we've said has almost become more important during this past few months and then on the other hand having to compete as a global broadcaster against international competitors with far deeper pockets, having to be quite resourceful and agile with things like co-productions to kind of, you know, and um, exploiting content in different markets globally, all of that. Is is that balance kind of changed at all by all of this? It's a big, it's a bit of a vague rambling question. I did warn you, I tend to ask Mm. vague rambling questions, but do you see that playing out in, how do you see that playing out in in the future now, post-pandemic? We've got a new Director General starting in September, and Tim Davey was in charge of BBC Studios, which is the part of the BBC responsible for all the commercial revenue. Um, so maximising the value uh, and the return to the licence fee payer of our content globally is going to be as important more important tomorrow than it was. Alongside that, in this world where people are increasingly familiar with paying for content, we need to work to preserve the funding model, the universal license fee, and deliver universality and look at those households who are perhaps most distant from us and are finding their media needs met through other ways and think about what does the BBC need to be doing to transform itself to be an indispensable part of these people's lives, to be a vital part of their kind of media portfolio. The crisis has heightened the value of public service media as a, as a, as a principle, as a, as a fundamentally good thing for the UK. But I think bringing a bit more of a commercial lens to the BBC and thinking about it through the lens of how much value do I get as a household from the BBC? Those are the right questions to be asking to be sure that we're providing a service to everyone. That was Nick North talking on Tuesday the 4th of August about the BBC, a rediscovery of the purpose of public service broadcasting, emerging audience behaviours, dialing up change and a new competitive landscape. This is the last episode in the current series of We'll Meet Again. Over the past five months, we've reflected on the impact of COVID-19 on the cultural sector during a summer of crisis, opportunity and uncertainty. We witnessed an acceleration of underlying changes and an exposure of deep-rooted structural problems, inequality lack of diversity, broken supply chains and blocked pathways, a fear that some parts of the creative economy, freelance artists especially, might not survive this. At the same time, some green shoots of hope, reconnection with community, 
renewed purpose. And that combination of possibilities and problems was made even more urgent during the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer of 2020, which raised some familiar questions, not just for the cultural sector, questions still to be answered. Listening back, it already seems like a world transformed and none of us really knows what will happen next. I'd like to thank Nick North and a final thank you to all of my previous guests in the current series. Dominic Gray, Joe Unwin, Amanda Posey, Shreya Mukherjee, Lisa Harewood and Tom Piper. Thanks to Rob Bilton for composing and playing the music and Mike Ruchinsky for the production. And thank you for listening. I'm Chris Bilton from the University of Warwick, signing off for now, but back with a new series in 2021 when I hope that we will meet again. Thank you.